You are entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump wants to put America back to work. There is a discussion now about what risks are tolerable to get some economic activity going while we continue to face off against this pandemic. Plus, the House is set to pass this massive rescue bill. Is one member going to stall it? And what's the latest on China's efforts to blame us for this massive global epidemic? We'll get into that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I want those guidelines to go even when we're open and fully operational. And frankly, much of the guidelines, like shaking hands, maybe people aren't going to be shaking hands anymore. You know, uh, Tony had mentioned to me, Tony Fauci, uh, the other day that I don't think he was would be too upset with the concept of not shaking hands. He was saying that the flu would cut down, the regular flu would be cut down by quite a bit if we didn't do that, if we didn't shake hands. You know, the regular flu, of which, you know, you have a lot of deaths and a lot of problems with that, too. So I think a lot of a lot of great things are going to when we're open, just so just to finish, when we're open, as soon as we open, that doesn't mean you're going to stop with the guidelines. You'll still try and distance yourself, maybe not to the same extent, because you have to lead a life. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. The president is saying that this is exactly what well, it's really what I've been saying for a week now which is that we have to accept at some point we're going to be making decisions about this that don't involve just hunkering down, battening down the hatches and refusing to go outside for, uh, for business, for work purposes. This is something that now as we continue to try to find ways to fight against the coronavirus is gaining even more traction. The president's saying, look, we're going to have things in place that will continue to lessen the spread of this virus but the 30 uh, the the 30 day lockdown is doable the 3 month lockdown is painful and perhaps catastrophic you go beyond that and we're not going to have an economy to restart and people are understanding that now now that we've seen 3.3 about officially unemployed just from this past week there's a much greater understanding than there had been up to this point now that we see that the unemployment rolls are only going to go up. By the way, it's not just that last week there was really high unemployment. It's that in the weeks ahead, there is nothing but one direction this will go in. You know, usually you have a bad, uh, a bad employment report and people will say, oh, well, it'll rebound. Maybe it was bad weather. We all know that this is just going to drop off a cliff. And so that's why the president yesterday in his uh, press conference was trying to address some of his critics who were saying that he's, you know, putting grandma's life in jeopardy for our 401k. Um, Everyone is in jeopardy right now. The economy is in jeopardy. This virus puts all of us in jeopardy. I'm here in New York City in quarantine. Uh, There is also a growing recognition that cities are in a worse spot with this. If you are out in areas of the country where you have a lot more social distance just by virtue of the fact that you have to deal with a lot fewer people on a day-to-day basis. I mean, think about just just in case you know, you haven't really gone through this. And I know a lot of you who have, you know, more space, more air around you. You already know this without me telling you. But someone like me, when I get down on the, when I go on the subway 
you're usually packed to get into the subway. And this is the reality for millions of New Yorkers, literally millions of people every day. I think three million people are in the New York City subway system every day. Um, And this is why we also have been we've been hit worse than other cities. You you look at Los Angeles. Yeah, people, the gym, you know, the bar, the grocery store. There are certainly opportunities for infection. And one of the big problems, as we're recognizing, is infection in the home, which is why Governor Cuomo yesterday. And I'll get into this more later, is saying maybe sending everybody home wasn't, in fact, the best idea. But in New York City, we are packed like sardines. I don't know why sardines are more tightly packed than other things, but we are packed like sardines and you are you are shoulder to shoulder on the way into the subway, you know, butt to butt, back to back on the subway crammed in there. You've probably seen video footage of this. That's the reality. You are as close to people. You are so close to people every day that their bodies are pressed up against you and you just think that this is normal because this is what everyone's doing. But you're actually in physical contact with strangers every day lots of them every single day so that means that it's really easy you got to remember every person you're in contact with they're all going to different places they're all distributed around the city you know the subway system alone is like a virus distribution system so that's important for everybody when we're thinking about how we can get a handle on this disease and what we can do if you look at the, the places where the greatest transmission happens it's in very close quarters and it's by touch And all you need is one person on a crowded subway car to sneeze, let's say, and those aerosolized droplets are there and the subway is packed and you could infect a whole bunch of people. So if you live in, you know, West Texas, if you live in, uh, you know, more outlying areas of Kansas, you know, places where I know a lot of you who listen to this show do live, you know, out in in uh, Oregon, not in Portland necessarily, but in the rest of the state. You don't have to deal with as many people, so you're not seeing the same degree of infections. And I think it's very possible that you will not see the same degree of infection anytime soon in those areas. That said, other cities are getting hit pretty hard right now. Uh, New Orleans, particularly places that have a really large global tourism trait. You know, destination places are getting hit really hard. You know, there's a lot of concern over what's what's going to be the final caseload in places like Las Vegas, for example. You have huge influx of tourists from all over the world. And as we know, at least in the early stages of this, there's a direct correlation. There's a direct line between travel from uh, China, from Wuhan in particular and the areas around it. Uh, There's a direct correlation where those uh, those routes, places and uh, cities that have a, a lot of folks visiting, they got hit particularly hard. It's certainly the case with northern Italy, where you have a massive influx of Chinese nationals who, for the Lunar New Year, were traveling in particular, but also because of the textile industry in northern Italy, which is largely now run by and owned by a lot of Chinese interests. Uh, It was just a a perfect storm for this virus. So the president is taking the approach that he should here. And I know that for a few days there were a lot of libs who were running around yelling about how if you even want to have this conversation, you're doing so because you don't care about grandma. That's that's viciously, aggressively stupid. And now we see the experts like even Dr. Fauci are saying, hey, guess what? We are going to need to have a conversation about what risks we take. And while we are taking risks, there will be the possibility of 
rebounds. That, that's a quote from Dr. Fauci, rebounds of this virus. But the alternative is just continued total lockdown, which other countries are not going through that are, that are dealing with this. You know, South Korea is not in a state of absolute lockdown the way that New York City is right now uh, and the way that some other cities and states are. Um, we're also going to see a lot of tension between state and, and local governments restricting travel, which you usually never see that, right? I mean, in this country, as much as producer Mark and I might make jokes about the New York-New Jersey rivalry, there's never anybody in New Jersey who's like, what are you doing crossing the river? You're supposed to stay over there in New York. And, you know, generally we in New York are the ones who are telling people from New Jersey, what are you doing? But nonetheless, right now we're in, a, we're in a moment of absolute crisis, so much so that you might have state authorities, local authorities who are saying, no, 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 you're not allowed to. There, there's no cross state, cross county travel unless you're in an exempted situation. You're a uh, truck driver. You're, you know, in, in involved in that life maintenance sector of the economy that's still open. So this is why the the patchwork approach, I guess you could call it uh, place by place, county by county is going to gain a lot of traction here soon because we need areas that can have more commerce to do so. We need to get the parts of our economy. We're a very large country of 320 million people. China has a billion people. Is China on lockdown the whole country? No. Do we think that the Chinese government is more adept at dealing with this? Do we think that Chinese public health. One thing that, that I haven't talked to you about before is there is a tremendous amount, and this, this does not really get, you will not hear about this from our media, but my contacts in China have been talking to me in recent weeks about how the you know, Eastern medicine, which is the, what we generally refer to it as here, there's Eastern medicine that is really uh, very rudimentary and something more along the lines of uh, which you consider, you know, traditional and almost practices of, of magic. I, I don't know what you would call it, but it's not based really in science. That leads very much into these wet markets in China where they're selling these different animals because you might be thinking, why, why would anybody eat a pangolin? They don't know what it tastes like. Well, in Eastern medicine, there are different animals and eating them is considered, I mean, one of the more famous examples is as a, is something they do with tigers and they make a soup out of a part of a tiger rhinoceros horn this is another one that's very well known rhinoceros horn is made out of keratin the same thing that your fingernails are made out of and yet there is a widespread belief across much of, of asia and i say widespread i'm not talking about people that are you know university professors in beijing but among the you know less affluent educated populace of, of china in particular people think that this is a cure for different diseases and so uh, that that's just it's one, I think, instructive about how we have these wet markets where you have 100 different wild animal species all brought together in inhumane and, and deeply uh, dangerous circumstances in terms of uh, disease transmission. But also the Chinese public health system is nowhere near our public health system. You see them throwing together all these hospitals really fast. Trust me, you don't want if, if you have a choice between being in a Chinese hospital, being in an American hospital, uh, uh, the National Health Service in Britain is a little scary. I'd probably rather be in northern Italy, but a European hospital, you'd much rather choose the latter. So. We'll, we'll get more into into China uh, and, and what they're doing right now, because their propaganda campaign is is all out. I mean, they really think that they're going to be able to rewrite the history of this pandemic and blame it on America. And we may go back in time and look at this historical moment as a point at which the Chinese began to establish this is um, this is their plan. 
that they began to establish uh, true global hegemony because we overextend ourselves financially and they managed to blame us in a lot of ways for this. Uh, you know, they're, I will, I'll go through. I know it sounds crazy, but remember, the first goal of propaganda for an authoritarian regime, a communist country like China, it's not really communist, but it's the communist Chinese party or Chinese Communist Party that runs it. The first goal of their propaganda is to convince their own people. Convincing all of us is much. So, so many of the messages that you see being fired out are meant to give ammunition to the toadies of the regime back in China. Hey, see, this is what the authorities are saying about what happened in America. And they're going at the Americans with this. Must be kind of true, right? So we, we have that to discuss. We also have the, this bill. I mean, there's there's a ton of moving pieces happening right now. Massey, Congressman Massey, getting a lot of heat over trying to slow things down because he says there's a lot of pork in this. Absolutely true. There is a lot of pork in this bill. There's no question that this is a another example of Congress being unable to put aside its parochial, uh, parochial interests and just be serious about things in the most serious moment this country has faced. Look, this is worse than 9-11. I mean, I'm somebody who joined the CIA because of 9-11. I know all about the terrorist groups that were uh, going after us, not just on that day, but for years and years afterwards. I know about plots that have come to light since then. I know about a lot of plots that didn't get that far along, but that would have been catastrophic that people don't know about. Uh, you know, there's there's really very little comparison in my mind between now and then because we knew we were facing an enemy. It was going to be rough, but we knew we would win that. And we know we will win this, too. But the casualties that we face here uh, remain very much a big question. We were never going to have a mass casualty event uh, fighting against, I mean, realistically fighting against uh, Al Qaeda, fighting against Iraq or Afghanistan. It just wasn't going to happen because of our military superiority here. You know, I still think that the lower end of the spectrum of losses is much more likely for us. But there are circumstances. I mean, I've been reading, as a lot of other people have, about the Spanish influenza pandemic of 1918. And there are circumstances where this could get a whole lot worse and get out of control. What happens when the southern hemisphere goes into winter, by the way, and you have countries with much less developed public health systems that are much poorer, but also have serious population density? There are some places. What happens when, the, when they are faced with this? And how do we deal with the rebound of it? But the rebound won't be... The, or I should say the second wave. The rebound would just be a minor, or a, an outbreak in addition to what we've already seen here. Fauci addressed this yesterday. The second wave would be what we would see in the fall when this makes a comeback, which it will. So we, we need to get to that as well. But the, the fundamental point here is that we now are, are we're waging two battles simultaneously. All right. Two battles are underway. The the fight against the virus to minimize casualties, to take care of as many Americans as we can, get the equipment out there. That's one. The other is to understand the risks, take intelligent risks, know that it won't be perfect, but we've got to get out there and start going, uh, start going forward with economic activity so that we can do the first thing. Because this fight is going to extend for a long time. Someone needs to feed and pay our medical personnel. Someone needs to feed and, uh, and, and, well, you know, give them money to keep them fed. But we need to pay for, you know, people that are in our supply chain, truck drivers, first responders, police, fire. I mean, all the, all the officials that are holding civilization together right now, they rely on economic activity. Without that economic activity, they can't do what they're doing to fight against the virus. 
So now we've moved into that phase of recognition even before we've hit the biggest spike, which is going to be within a couple of weeks. So like I said, team, a lot to get to today. So strap in for it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Uh, This is Governor Greg Abbott saying thank you to the truckers who are hauling all the goods and supplies across the state of Texas that are so desperately needed. Thank you for taking them to the grocery stores, to the other stores, to make sure that all the shoppers in Texas and our fellow Texans, they they have these needs for the supplies that you're delivering, and they wouldn't be there without you taking them there. Thank you for your tireless work to make sure Texans will have all the supplies they need. God bless our truckers, and God bless Texas. You know, there's that saying attributed to Napoleon that an army marches on its stomach. Well, if we're in a fight right now, a war against a virus, we also are marching on our stomachs. And the only way that we can keep them full is because of our distro and supply chain. And truckers are the backbone of that. I know we have so many of you who listen to this show either on stations as you crisscross the country or also on podcast. Thank you for doing what you do. And, and, you know, every day we'll try to give some shout outs to the people that are the reason why, you know, here in New York City, for example, which is so hardly uh, so hard hit um, by this uh, here in New York City, we only have grocery stores. I mean, if the grocery stores started having shortages, you would have panic and riots. So the people that are delivering food to uh, the, the stores here that are making sure that, you know, we still have groceries, you know, basic medicine, household goods. And, and I understand that there's some concern, too. People have got to get out of the truck. They got to unload. You know, no one wants to get sick. We all understand. But they're keeping this country going. So we are also an army in America against this virus that marches on our stomach and the people that are delivering and and cooking and preparing food uh, as well. Uh, People that are still staying open, restaurants that are trying to. I mean, it's bleak out there. I went for a walk last night down one of the most crowded streets. I mean, a place where usually you would be dodging just tourists every two steps and street performers and especially this time of year. No man's land. It was like crossing over from, you know, English to German lines in Flanders in the First World War. I mean, there was nothing out there. Stores all shut down. Some of them now boarded up uh, just in case. That, that, that's a little bit of an ominous sign. But thank you for keeping all of you out there. Thank you for keeping the stores stocked because that is essential right now. we got to keep our medical providers geared up and we got to keep our stores stocked or else we're going to have even bigger problems. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm sure many of you saw the recent report out of the UK about them adjusting completely their needs. Um, This is really quite important. If you remember, that was the report that said there would be 500,000 deaths in the UK and 2.2 million deaths in the United States. They've adjusted that number in the UK to 20,000, so half a million to 20,000. We're looking into this in great detail to understand that adjustment. I'm going to say something that's a little bit complicated, um, but I'm going to try to do it in a way that we can all understand it together. In the model, either you have to have a large group of people who are asymptomatic, who've never presented for any test, 
in order to have the kind of numbers that were predicted. To get to 60 million people infected, or of 6 million people infected, you have to have a large group of asymptomatics, because in no country to date have we seen an attack rate over one in a thousand. So either we're only measuring the tip of the iceberg of the symptomatic cases, and underneath it are a, a large group of people. So we're working very hard to get that antibody test, because that's a good way to figure out who are all these people under here and do they exist? Or we have the transmission completely wrong. So these are the things we're looking at because the predictions of the models don't match the reality on the ground in either China, South Korea, or Italy. Um, we are about five times the size of Italy. So if we were Italy and you did all those divisions, Italy should have close to 400,000 deaths. They're not close to achieving that. So these are the kinds of things we're trying to understand. Models are models. The models do not line up with what we've seen as reality so far. That's Dr. Deborah Burks, who I think has become, for some people, I mean, it's Burks and Fauci, obviously, who are at the press conference that are both providing a tremendous amount of really useful information. And by the way, the information is quite useful. We're all making decisions, at least in particularly affected areas. I know for a lot of you, this is mostly right now an economic issue because you're, there are counties where there are zero cases of this that are at least known so far. But understand that there will be some cases in a whole lot more counties and the economic reality of the, uh, what this is doing in cities is something that affects the whole country. So that's obviously why we're, we're all in this together, even if you are in a place where, you know, you see two people a week outside your own family and you don't think that there's any real threat of, of COVID infecting, you know, your township, which has 200 residents, right? So, so for those who are in areas like that, I, I understand you're looking at this like, why do we have to, um, why is, has the response been as extreme as possible? And the, the real turning point here was Italy. And, and honestly, it was that there were two moments that I saw where my analysis of this had to ratchet up. And it was when we first saw real data out of Italy. And it was very, you know, it's very hard with China and looking at all the modeling. And you have so many different factors that come into play when people are talking about how bad this will be. There are some who very clearly act with some degree of bad faith and do not, you know, that they want this to be on the worst side, at least for the administration. They want to make sure they can blame the administration and it needs to be pretty bad for that to be the case. That's we've been aware of that from the beginning. People have been blaming Trump from before there was even a response. I, I was on the Bill Maher show and we had had not a single U.S. death from COVID-19. And they're saying that Trump botched the response and he's terrible and, and we're all going to die. And I'm looking at them saying, I, I don't even understand how we can have this conversation before we know what has happened. But, you know, they they hate Trump and that's all that really that's all that really matters to them. It's very difficult to make assessments, uh, good assessments of this based on the Chinese data, because we know the Chinese are lying and we know that the Chinese Communist Party is ruthless. I mean, China is a modern state. It's the second wealthiest country in the world now by GDP. And, you know, China is a, a, a modern state that still has internment camps for the Uyghurs in Western China. So we, we understand it's a deeply immoral country. I mean, you know, they execute people for corruption and no one even really knows what the person did. I mean, there's all kinds of it's a thugocracy, a really powerful one. In fact, it's very similar in a lot of ways to what you have in Russia. 
where instead in, in Russia, it's concentrated in Putin and his circle of cronies. But it's really Putin in China. It's just a committee instead of an individual, but really wields the same absolute power and authoritarianism. And so in the early days, they were suppressing information coming out of China as much as they possibly could. So it was very hard to make real determinations. It wasn't until we saw what happened in Italy, then it was, okay. this is going to be a real threat to our elderly and immunosuppressed populations. And then when President Trump said that we were doing the shutdown of all travel from Europe that night, that was another that was the other shoe dropping for me. All of that said, here we are now deeper into this crisis and there are still people who are putting out what i would i would consider to be very irresponsible projections about what is likely to happen what is possible to happen is not really relevant Uh, what 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 could theoretically occur is not something that should be widely publicized You, you know what could happen in any given year a flu virus could mutate and all of a sudden we have a global pandemic that you know comes out of nowhere i mean that could happen tomorrow so what could is not something that should get nearly the attention but from the media you have two very powerful impulses that affect so much of the way that they're doing their jobs right now one is there is maybe it's subconscious although i think in some it's conscious but a desire for catastrophe for catastrophe that they can pin on president trump And also just the if it bleeds, it leads concept on steroids. Things that are scary get clicks. I can't tell you how many stories I see, and it's getting very annoying um, because I think it's so dishonest and it's just adding to everybody's anxiety. But you keep seeing these stories about, you know, healthy, healthy 42 year old dies from covid-19 in some American city or, you know, here in New York, wherever. And then you read in and you find out, well, he was, uh, you know, he was somebody who had uh, chronic emphysema and type one diabetes or something. And you go, OK, well, I mean, this is still a tragedy for this person, and his family, but they're obviously overselling the risk to the healthy in, in the in the headline as a means of scaring even more people than are already scared. So there's a lot of irresponsible stuff going on. And Dr. Burks is trying to address that as best she can here by saying, look, we can't even all we do all day is try to look at what's happening and what we can do and how we can mitigate risk and how we can anticipate things going even more badly in a certain area. And there's just no way that the projection of two million dead Americans based on this this study in the UK and 600,000 dead Brits that that attracts with what we're seeing right now already happened in Italy. Italy was essentially give this disease in a in a confined part of a of a densely populated country, give the disease a solid month of just total rampant spread, no one knows what's going on and then try to deal with it. So we would think that that should be, you know, the the uh, percentages on that would give us a real sense of of worst case scenario and even the italian scenario doesn't add up to what the uk is seeing and right now we're taking all these measures i mean you're you don't i mean new york is the most crowded part of the united states the most densely populated of 8.6 i think something like that million people that live here it's a lot and you can walk around the streets here and, and not come into not be within 10 feet of anybody you know easily 
You can walk around the streets and not even see. You can basically walk down the street, not the sidewalk, and cars, well, there's only a few coming by, they'll just drive around you. That's where we already are. So clearly, I mean, I just bring that up because there's massive changes that are underway right now to limit the spread of this thing. And that's not really being taken into account by those initial models that we saw. So I, I think that that's really important for everybody to remember. Um, you know, there, there's also there are these uh, scientists that have come out at uh, at Stanford, super smart Stanford guys and not Unitas. I know. I feel like I pronounced that like uh, producer Mark. Wasn't that a football coach or a player? Uh, Johnny Unitas, just one of the best players of all time. Nobody right. Knows. One of the yeah. OK, he's a player. Yeah. 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 But this guy is like Eonidas. It's like a Greek name. It's not Unitas. You know, it's like something close. Anyway, he, he did the uh, the analysis of this, that it wasn't really quite as um, it wasn't going to be as deadly as everyone had been saying. And then you had two other people at Stanford, uh, medical researchers who have also crunched the numbers and they've said that, look, we, we ran this, we've run this experiment a little bit in Italy where you've had rampant spread among an elderly population and on a cruise ship. And, you know, if this disease just spreads in a confined area, you're looking at about 1% of 1% fatality rate and maybe a 10 to 15% hospitalization rate, something along those lines. Now, that would be just spreading entirely in a confined area with no mitigation measures, with no knowledge of social distancing or anything else that's going on. That's clearly not what we are, clearly not what we're facing. And in truth, um, they're, they're going to find out, there are a couple of things that are going on now. One is they're going to find out, and, and most experts are saying this, and I in my gut believe this, so I'm going on expert knowledge here i don't have expert knowledge but i'm also telling you that this adds up for me this makes sense for me and i am the guy and i was reminded yesterday that i have been saying uh, I, I think it was in july or august when i was asked what keeps me up at night and now i remember and i said pandemic disease and i've also a few times said these idiots that are worried about climate change should be worried about pandemic disease i've said that in the last year i mean if those of you listen to the show enough know that that's the truth i'm just saying some of us knew that this was a problem while the lunatics were running around saying the world was going to melt because of cow farts so stepping back for a second here to what we've seen in the well you know with the uh, overall numbers because now you know cnn yesterday was doing this whole america has more cases than any other country First of all, bull. All right. We have more cases that we know about because China is is trying to cook the books and they have been from the very beginning. This people keep saying this is China's Chernobyl. Now, Chernobyl was and, the, you know, the show is very good, although, as I told you, there's a lot of unnecessary poetic license they took. Radiation is not contagious from person to person. You don't someone doesn't get irradiated. And then a week later, they hug their wife and the wife will die. That's not how it works. So I don't know why they had to do that. It's scary enough without doing that stuff. So, but the reason that Chernobyl was so, uh, you know, it's something that's so historically powerful in our memory. One, because the show was actually quite good, uh, quite well done. But also, it was at the end. I mean, the Soviet Empire was already a sclerotic, crappy, inept rule of idiots, and so that just made everyone think these these morons can't do anything right, you know. And you have the, the Soviet-Afghan war. Same idea. These idiots can't even they can't even, you know, with e throwing everything they've got at these Mujahideen, they can't even beat them. They got Chernobyl. I mean, they just look like a bunch of morons, which they were. Um, and so that's how the Soviet Politburo and, and the Soviet you know, High Committee and all that fell. And you have in China a much bigger issue than Chernobyl, really. 
that people are saying maybe this is a a risk. So on the one hand, it's an opportunity for China, depending on how bad it is for America. But there's also the uh, the systemic risk to Chinese uh, the Chinese Communist Party's power that is going to put people on edge over there for a while because there must be enough people who know about them. This is also why they suppress information and why, you know, the WeChat app that everyone uses over there. And there's so much censorship that goes on because if people knew the truth about the Chinese government, they'd say, why do we have these morons in charge? They're vicious and corrupt, and they're not even good at... You know, you'd think that a high-tech totalitarian regime would be best placed to deal with a, a pandemic like this and to, st- to stifle it. But, you know, in Singapore, you have essentially a benevolent authoritarianism, and they will stifle this thing pretty quickly. In China, you have a dictatorial and vicious totalitarianism, and they were not able to stop this thing. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm a big believer, though, in us getting more information that will um, calm people, I think, a bit going forward, not calm them entirely, but will, will help uh, help us understand the real scope of this thing and where it's all going. I'll get into some of that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Do we know yet if getting corona and surviving corona means that you're now immune to the disease or is there a chance of reinfection? Uh, we don't know that for 100 percent certain because we haven't done the study to see re-challenges, whether they've been protected. But I feel really confident that if this virus acts like every other virus that we know, once you get infected, get better, clear the virus, that you'll have immunity that will protect you against reinfection. So it's never 100 percent, but I'd be willing to bet any that people who recover are really protected against reinfection. Dr. Fauci laying it down there. Obviously, essential to know that there would be immunity after an infection with this disease. Um, And that's because they're working on a test now, an antibody test that would let you know. You might have had this and not known. You know, I had a really bad cold at the end of December, for example. I think that's probably too early for this, but Maybe I just thought it was a really bad cold, right? I'm sure some of you have the same thing. When they look at the testing, even in South Korea, where they've done all this testing, and we've done more testing in eight days than South Korea did in eight weeks. The president has been bringing that up in the last couple of days. But 94% of tests uh, where people had symptoms in South Korea, it was not coronavirus. It's a cold or it's the flu, but there's obviously a lot of crossover in the the, uh, symptoms. So... If you can find out if you have had this and didn't even realize it, then that takes a tremendous amount of strain off you, assuming that you have immunity, which is the point he's getting to here. Now you can go around and you don't have to worry. And it also means you could be around if they've proven you've got immunity now from this, which they're going to be finding out soon. He's basically saying it's 99 percent. But if you get immunity uh, then that means that you could be going back to work, going around, you know, um, people who are elderly and not worried because you wouldn't be at risk of infecting them because you'd be protected from being an infected because you've already been infected. Now, this is this is the case. This is basic immunology stretching back to the earliest days of vaccination and, and how that whole process works. I'm just going to say this right now, though. You know, you heard Dr. Fauci there. If he said, like, I'm very, very calm. And this is a guy who doesn't he doesn't blow, you know, smoke and sunshine or, you know, sunshine and rainbows, smoke and sunshine. That wouldn't be good. Sunshine and rainbows at people. Um, But you've heard Dr. Fauci there. He was very clear about it. And I'm just going to say this. If we end up finding out 
and this is just my belief, this is my analysis, but if we find out that somehow this virus is like the only virus that Dr. Fauci has ever heard of, really, where you don't have respiratory infection like this, where you don't have immunity afterwards, I'm just going to go on record and say, if we find out you don't have immunity, this was engineered in a Chinese lab. No question in my mind. There's no, there's no way, you know, there's too many pieces that would have to go. Now, I, I don't think that's going to end up being the case. And I think the really good news is we will have immunity. But I just want to go on record now. If for some reason this is the one in a thousand for viruses where you don't get immunity, it's because the Chinese built this thing and the monster got out and is attacking all of us. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have to get back to work. Our people want to work. They want to go back. They have to go back. And uh, we're going to be talking about dates. We're going to be talking uh, with a lot of great professionals. But this is a country that was built on getting it done. And our people want to go back to work. I'm hearing, I'm hearing it loud and clear from everybody. So we'll see what, uh, what happens. We're going to have a lot more information early next week and we'll be reporting that back but i just want to leave it with you we have to go back this is the united states of america they don't want to sit around and wait and they'll be practicing and by the way a lot of people misinterpret when i say go back they're going to be practicing as much as you can social distancing and washing your hands and not shaking hands and all of the things that we talk about so much, but they have to go back to work. Our country has to go back. Our country is based on that. The president gets it. His critics are piling on him for this, getting so angry at him. It, it's, it's absurd. He understands what's at stake here. There will not be an economy. Think of it this way, because uh, the war analogy here can be very helpful. Obviously, war against a virus is not war against enemy human beings. But when you think of a war, what would happen if you destroyed your industrial base? We have the best military, the best fighting men and women on the planet, right? We, we know that. We do. We have the best military and obviously the, the most capable and powerful military in the history of the planet, which is a pretty extraordinary thing when you think about it, right? Um, but if our military was told to go out and fight against an enemy without ammunition, without uniforms, without communications, medical equipment, etc. They, they wouldn't be able to win. Same is true of the economy that we have here and the industrial base that's dependent upon economic activity in defeating this virus. That's why they both have to happen. And some of us who have a better strategic sense have been saying this from the beginning, while other people are saying, you want grandma to die, which is such a horrible and offensive thing to say. But nonetheless, it is a combination of people being afraid, but also a combination of individuals who feel the need right now to establish that they're better than other people, the virtue signaling. And I, I have people who tell me who aren't even in New York that I don't have any skin of the game, you know, blue check journos, that I, I don't understand the pain people are going through. Really? I'm the one who's getting notices all the time from my favorite restaurants, from, my, uh, from friends of mine, that they're either out of work, that their business is shut down, that they can't go outside, that everyone's scared, they're all frightened for their parents. You know, one thing about New York, if you're not here, you may not know, yeah, there's a fair number of New Yorkers who go down to... Florida is the typical place that New Yorkers go to retire, but a lot of people, you know, multi-generation families are here in this city. I'm here, my parents are here, my grandparents 
on one side were here. My great grandparents, when they were alive, were here. I mean, so for a lot of New Yorkers, not only does this hit home for them because they're in quarantine, but they know they've got uh, even if they themselves are in lower risk cohorts in terms of their age, they know that there are other people that they care very much about who are here. Uh, care about more than anything, and and they want to make sure that they're safe. So this is as real as it gets for all of us who are in the middle of this storm. The president understands that. He's a New Yorker, too. He has friends and loved ones and people that matter to him all across the country, in a sense. But here in New York City is his home, right? So he knows this. And I do think that he's trying to do as much as he can to get us back to work as quickly as he can. Um, And... This is just one of these times where we're going to have to listen to the voices that we know are coming at this in good faith and have a strategic mind, have vision for the future. Those of us that are pushing for more economic activity are looking ahead to what happens in two months while also understanding what's going on over the next two weeks. I'm not dismissing at all, but you, know, you don't want to win this battle against the virus spike right now at the expense of losing the war of America still being a functioning economy that can support all the rest of life, including all the other health issues that come together. So I think I've made I think I've made my case to you on this for now. We'll have to continue to see where the data leads us, what it says about, you know, the future of of where we'll be able to open up in this country. I think you're going to see this left to the states and to cities. And that's going to be very interesting because there is already a dynamic that is forming right now of more rural and more red areas of the country that are that are less impacted by this, less affected, not unaffected, but less affected by the spread of the virus. And they're saying, let us get back to work. We understand social distancing. We understand the precautions to prevent this from spiraling out of control in our area, too. Let us get back to work. Our hospitals aren't overwhelmed so that we can be a productive part of the economy and pushing the country forward while New York is stockpiling ventilators and trying to deal with the influx of patients it already has, while Los Angeles and New Orleans and Miami and other places are recognizing that they're also about to get hit pretty hard with this, right? So this debate will be very interesting, and you'll see state and local leadership matter to a lot of us a lot more. You know, usually your state and local leadership, well, I guess it depends on where you are, but usually it's, you know, you're worried about are they taxing you? How are this, how's the school system? They don't generally make decisions that have power of life and death over you. You don't think of your governor. I know governors can give someone clemency who's, uh, you know, on, on death row for state charges. But you don't usually think of a governor as making life and death decisions. If you did, I don't think I'd live in New York. I'd probably move to Texas, which maybe this is another moment where I realize, Buck, it's time to move to Texas. Do you folks in Austin, KLBJ, do, do you guys have some you guys have some room for a good patriot? served his country in the past and wants to come hang out with some folks. Uh, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of places. You know, Denver? What about Denver? I love Denver. Maybe you got room for me. I know that's not a particularly conservative city, but I hear wonderful things about it. And we've obviously got a great, a great group of people listening to us in the Denver area. Uh, Team Buck Denver is going strong. So maybe that's where we got to, I don't know, producer Mark, we, we might have to bust out a map and start thinking about what the escape, what the escape hatch is from NYC. You, you already uh, know my thoughts. Yeah, Anywhere Florida. without state income tax. Florida, yeah. yeah. Well, Florida, Texas, that works. I think Tennessee also doesn't have... I, I just I was in Nashville for a weekend. I love that place. There's a Premier Studios in Nashville. 
there. Oh, we, mm. we got a lot of studios in Nashville. And we're going to have a lot. I think there's going to be a whole, a whole lot more development of all kinds going on there. So you're going to see some differences at the state level and how this plays out. Um, Governor Cuomo, who's been getting a lot of attention for his daily briefings, mostly for his demeanor in them and for the lack of the petty garbage. I mean, de Blasio, as I've been saying, is just, oh, my gosh, we're all going to die. I mean, de Blasio is horrible. He's absolutely horrible. Um, Cuomo has been like, look, we're on it. We're dealing with it. We'll do our best. You know, he's kind of a little more a little more. You know, he's been more even keeled about it, as I've been saying. He's done a good job for what's going on here. And he's under a lot of stress. It's real. OK, he's a New Yorker. He understands. He, here's what he says about the because I want to talk about this bill. I don't want to spend too much time on it because we kind of know a lot of what's going on here. It's a usual Washington shenanigans. Here's what he's saying. Uh, play clip five. I'm sorry, play clip six. The congressional action, in my opinion, simply failed to address the governmental need. I spoke to all the officials involved. I spoke to our House delegation. I spoke to our senators. Uh, and I believe what they did failed to meet the governmental need. I'm disappointed. I said I was disappointed. Uh, I find it uh, irresponsible. I find it reckless. Emotion is a luxury. And we don't have the luxury at this time of uh, being emotional about what they did. When this is over, I promise you I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. But I would say to them today, uh, this is an extraordinary time in this nation, and it's an extraordinary time for government. This was the time to put politics aside and partisanship aside. This is the time for governmental leaders to stop making excuses and just do your job. Okay, here's what's really going on. And some of that, you know, just do your job. Don't make excuses. Okay, well, that's, we expect that that's what people will say about this. But here's what's really going on. States are supposed, I think a lot of states have balanced budget, are supposed to have balanced budgets under, under state law. Um, I don't know how many, but I do think there are a number of them that do. As we know, the state and federal income tax day has been pushed back to, I, I believe it's for all states too, income tax day has been pushed back to um, July 15th, which means what happens to states and their budgets? Uh, states rely, a lot of them rely, yeah, on property taxes, but also on uh, tax of uh, sales tax, tax of goods and transactions, and guess what? They're looking at massive shortfalls now. And a state like New York in particular is going to have huge shortfalls. I'm assuming there'll be others as well. Here's what I know. People are listening to this. You're, you're in Texas. You're in North Carolina. You're in Minnesota. You're in Indiana. You're in, you know, California is going to have the same problems. But you're in some places that probably aren't going to get hit as badly with this problem. But here's what's going to happen, right? When you have this just this perception of the federal government dumping loads of cash out of helicopters onto people. And, and in a sense, that is what is going on, and that is necessary. People that lost their jobs because the government said, you don't have a job anymore because of a disease that has nothing to do with you, the government's got to take care of those people, right? This is, this, you know, it'd be the same way that, you know, if we got, as I said, if we got invaded by a foreign power, and the government had to spend a whole lot of money and send a Black Hawk and a whole bunch of highly trained SEALs or something to go get you because the bad guys had captured you. That's what government does. 
So that's why that's why we pay taxes, right? That's why we have these systems in place. So what we're going to see, though, is this dumping cash mentality, which is clearly evident in the way that this bill has gone. And as I go to air, Massey uh, is still thinking about, I think, slowing down this process because he's upset about it. And people are saying, is it a conservative principled stand? No, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't think, in my opinion, if you want to know, you know, Congressman Massey of Kentucky is uh, saying that he might insist on a quorum and that basically would slow the whole process down to make a point here that there's too much pork in this. Uh, in my opinion, you don't lecture somebody on the Constitution while their house is burning down. And that's what's going on right now. Um, now, I'm not saying that you can't be critical of what's happened. I'm critical of it. I think Massey should be critical, but I don't think that it's I think it's counterproductive to slow down in any way. People are desperate for cash now. They need that money now. And they're going to be making decisions, businesses and individuals are making decisions based upon what is in their bank account next week when rent is due. So to say, oh, well, let's sort of wait and we'll see. And, you know, eh, no, I'm sorry. That is not something that I can, um, you know, I can get behind. And also, well, we'll get into some, some of the other, you know, criticism that's out there about this. Um, but <laughs> it's it's shocking and it's not shocking. Right. I mean, as a human being, you're like, how could anybody use this moment? for the exploited, uh, exploitative means that they are. Um, but you also know that this is, this is the way our government functions now. Things only really th seem to get done in a crisis. Things only seem to get done when it shouldn't be about politics. That's when it's really about politics. That's uh, a switch call a conundrum. Here is uh, Mnuchin telling us that the checks are going to go out. Here's what he says. Secretary of the Treasury, play nine. And I want to thank the Senate for their swift action. Uh, people literally worked around the clock for five days. And uh, the president and I and others couldn't be more pleased with the absolute unanimous support on a bipartisan basis to get this done. Uh, in regards to the checks, uh, I announced yesterday from the White House press conference, uh, first of all, most of these will be direct deposits. So we call them checks in the mail, but most of them will be direct deposits. It'll be within three weeks. We are determined to get money in people's pocket immediately. So uh, that will be within three weeks. Seems pretty straightforward, right? What are the objections that Democrats had? Remember when Pelosi was slowing the whole thing up? Well, we'll need to get to that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Uh, we did jujitsu on it, that it went from a corporate first uh, proposal that the Republicans put forth in the Senate uh, to a workers first, uh, Democratic workers first legislation. But let's first back up. As I was coming here, I saw that uh, nearly a thousand deaths in the United States, 900 yesterday. So I don't know what the number is today, but they're saying nearly a thousand deaths in our country. Tens of thousands of people uh, are we have tens of thousands of cases. Uh, this is a, a pandemic that we haven't even seen since over, for over 100 years in our country. It's really such, tra such a tragedy. So we had to take important action. Uh, we had to take action, though, that puts families first and workers first. And that's what we did when we did our first legislation. The first two bills were about addressing the emergency directly. 
She is shameless, isn't she? Just shameless. Jiu-jitsu. Nancy Pelosi jiu-jitsu. Now, that would be even more fun to watch than a Ruth Bader Ginsburg super fierce workout with kettlebells. Um, but, but Pelosi is convinced that she got something here. I'm not really sure what she thinks she got other than repudiation. People saying, what the heck are you thinking? This is a crisis. Time is of the essence. We absolutely positively, uh, positively cannot delay this anymore. Um, that's, you know, th- that's what, where everybody else is on this. But Nancy Pelosi, meanwhile, is playing all these nonsense games. Now, you know, one, one point here that I would, I would make, the jobless numbers are going to keep going up. Mnuchin, who is smart, I mean, he's like Goldman Sachs lobbyist in chief at the Treasury Department, but he's smart. And he's saying that we can handle this jobless thing in the short term, which has been what I have been saying for the last week, despite all the leftists claiming that I want to throw old people off of cliffs. Uh, We cannot sustain this in the long term. Here is Mnuchin on that one. Play 10. We knew the jobless claims number was not going to be a good one, but I am curious as to what your thoughts were when you saw that 3.283 million number. You know, to be honest with you, I, I just think these numbers right now are not relevant. And, you know, whether they're bigger or smaller in, in the short term, you know, I mean, obviously there are people who have jobless claims. And again, the good thing about this bill is the president is protecting those people. So, you know, now with these plans, uh, small businesses hopefully will be able to hire back a lot of those people. Last week, they didn't know if they had protections. They didn't have any cash. They had no choice. Now, with this bill passed by Congress, uh, there are protections. And as I said, hopefully those workers will be uh, rehired. But between these three programs, it protects all of American workers. And by the way, you know, lots of big companies do continue to hire for obviously grocery stores, pharmacies, you know, uh, delivery services, these companies are on overtime. So I know they're hiring uh, people as fast as they can. Let's hope that he's right. I mean, I've been saying that the unemployment number is only going to go up, and I, I think I'm right. Um, but he's saying that because of this, uh, this, I don't think it's a stimulus bill. We should call it a rescue. It's a rescue bill. It's not a stimulus bill. Because of this rescue bill, uh, there may be some decisions made by businesses to keep people on payroll. Maybe. Um, we'll have to see. But remember, there's going to be a lot of other there are going to be a lot of other businesses that are are concerned and are going to continue to shed jobs. Right. That this is only going to get worse. Uh, and then you get into well, how does this whole thing get really scary, even if they're doing the right thing by trying to help in this way? Systemic financial problems, which no one wants to talk about right now. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What did the Senate majority fight for? One of the largest corporate bailouts with as few strings as possible in American history. Shameful. The greed of that fight is wrong for crumbs for our families and the option that we have is to either let them suffer with nothing or to allow this greed and billions of dollars which will be leveraged into trillions of dollars to contribute to the largest income inequality gap in our future. There should be shame about what was fought for in this bill and the choices that we have to make. I mean AOC is a moron. I, all you have to do is listen to that one clip, never mind all the others. And she's just, I, I, it's, it's really 
to the detriment of the Democrat voters of Queens that she represents them. And, and they I guess they kind of, you know, in, in that regard, they, they traded Crowley for for AOC. And I don't know how they could view this as a as a trade up, but maybe, maybe they do. I don't know. But here's the problem with AOC throwing a, what it really sounds like a tantrum about corporate interests and how this is all for the corporations. And then uh, this is just the usual talking points for her. She always says the same things about the big, bad corporations. Uh, here was the vote in the Senate on this one. Play clip. Uh, 11, please. We passed this legislation last night, 96 to nothing. The Senate can barely even rename a post office 96 to nothing, much less pass a $2 trillion <laughs> emergency package. So I think it's regrettable that Nancy Pelosi uh, intervened in our bipartisan negotiations last weekend, and now we've lost almost a week's worth of time of getting this desperately needed aid into the hands of America's families and businesses. But I'm confident the House of Representatives will pass it tomorrow, the president will sign it, and then our government will be moving as quickly as possible to get this aid into the hands of families and businesses. 96 to zero. How can we be hearing about the big, bad, mean Republicans when every single Democrat in the Senate voted for this? 96 to zero, folks. And AOC thinks that this is some terrible. Look, there's definitely there's pork in there. There's there's some things that shouldn't be in there. But to act like this is on the Republicans, this is this is just the nature of our politics right now. And it's gross, but this is reality. But it's also not really a partisan issue. This is just a Washington issue. They see an opportunity to write a $25 million check for the Kennedy Center, and they took it. They saw an opportunity to dramatically expand a lot of aspects of government that aren't really about this. You know, there's a huge expansion of food stamps, different welfare programs. You know, Democrats got a lot in this that they'll say is all about coronavirus, but these are things that they just want to do anyway. Um, this is just another moment where there's some people that, they really only have one speed. I mean, AOC, it's the same class warfare, inequality, nonsense all the time. It, it doesn't matter what the topic is or what's happening. She's going to say more or less the same stuff. And, and, you know, Pelosi's really not any better. I mean, Pelosi, she's really just blathering on about nonsense. And, and uh, Congressman McCarthy pointed out that her whole thing, you know, she's just trying to save face now. And it's obvious. And I'm not going to let her do it without taking some heat because she deserves a lot more than just heat. She deserves to be you know, voted out of office, but that's not going to happen. She represents the lunatic liberals of Marin County, San Francisco. Incredibly wealthy. It's, it's like, you know, the it's the San Francisco equivalent of Malibu, like ultra rich right by the ocean. That's Nancy Pelosi's district. Yeah, she's not getting voted out anytime soon. It's also, I think, where they have one of those clusters where people don't vaccinate uh, particularly. Like it's one of those play. I'm just it is it's, it's side note. Um, but here's Representative McCarthy. Play clip 22. The speaker herself just said every day, every week that is wasted on not taking this seriously is a problem. I could not agree more. And yet for days, Democrats stalled this bill. How many people were laid off as the Democrats fought to change the election law? or implement the Green New Deal? How many parents lost sleep wondering how they were going to make the payments in the next month? How many small businesses sat around a kitchen table and had to make that decision they never had to before about laying their employees off that are like family? A few minutes ago, the speaker stood at this podium and claimed that House Democrats did what she called a jiu-jitsu to change the bill. That is an outright lie. The fundamental portions of this bill has not changed since Sunday. Four months for unemployment was already decided on Sunday. The grant 
to keep employees hired on small business was already decided on Sunday. Yeah, already decided. Pelosi swooped in and tried to use, tried to leverage the moment for her own benefit and for her narrow parochial political interests, and it failed. And now she's saying that she did something just to walk away from this. Everyone's looking at her like, no, you didn't. We know that she didn't, but she's such a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire, Pelosi. That is where she is on this. So it is, it is unsurprising, but nonetheless, that's the reality of it. Um, you know, I, I was talking before about the state versus local issue, and there is going to be, I think, some accountability for different for people who aren't used to making really big decisions in political office, uh, for mayors, for governors, uh, they, they're being forced to make decisions here where people's lives are in the balance, the economy is in the balance of their state. And I mean, here, here's the mayor of New Orleans speaking about how it's Trump's fault that Mardi Gras was not canceled due to coronavirus. Play 13. But you're saying no one from the federal government came to you and urged you to, uh, to pr- at least cancel or, pr- or, or postpone Mardi Gras. That's absolutely correct. And not only that, it was backed up with the response uh, of our national leader. Uh, when it's not taken seriously at the federal level, it's very difficult uh, to transcend down to the local level in making these decisions. Yes, that's right. Everyone who was supposed to be making these decisions to protect the people of their city or their state, the people that got this wrong. And New Orleans is clearly getting hit very badly in part because of all the travel to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. But they got this wrong and now they're going to turn around, they're going to blame the federal government and say that it wasn't being taken seriously by the federal government. Look, we also have, fortunately, the Internet now. And so we know what different states. Now, I don't have this for you for Mardi Gras. I mean, for uh, New Orleans. Which, you know, and I, I love New Orleans, but that's another place. Producer Mark, a part of the uh, NYC escape plan. I don't know what the state tax is in Louisiana. I'm sure it's not that high. I love, I love New Orleans. I um, want to get back there as soon as I can. But the uh, New York City Health Commissioner, I don't have the New Orleans Health Commissioner for the first week of February. This is, this is a person at the city level, right, who's obviously a Democrat. I mean, every, everybody in all these major cities is pretty much a Democrat. I mean, the, the Democrat government is is city government now. There's almost no differentiation. And uh, I mean, that's not true everywhere, but in most places you're going to find the mayors of, of big cities I'm talking about now. It doesn't, you know, Fort Wayne, Indiana, I love you guys in Woo Land, but I, you know, you're, you're kind of an outlier here. I think maybe, you know, you're talking about 50 to 100,000 people in a city. Sure, then maybe you have a Republican. But anything that's half a million plus, 250,000 plus, you're probably looking at, an overwhelming majority of uh, Democrats who are calling the shots for these cities. And I mean, certainly the case in you know, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Miami, Chicago, New Orleans, Baltimore, Washington, D.C. I mean, you know, find Seattle. I mean, find me a city or San Diego. I mean, anyway, here's the New York City Health Commissioner, though, the first week of February on. Now, this is a person. Remember, this is not just a politician. This is someone whose job is only to keep people healthy and safe in New York City, safe from disease, safe from things like this pandemic. Here was the public advice of the New York City Health Commissioner on February 7th. Play it. 
The important thing for New Yorkers to know is that in the city currently, their risk is low and our city preparedness is high. And so we know that this virus can be transmitted from one individual to another, but that it's typically people who live together, that there's no risk at this point in time. We're always learning more about having it be transmitted in casual contact. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're telling New Yorkers, go about your lives, take the subway, go out, enjoy life, but practice everyday precaution. That's right. The health commissioner of New York a month ago said the following, take the subway, go out, enjoy life. No real risk of casual transmission of this. So when people, this is part of my thing this week, you know, you have a lot of folks out there that are yelling, listen to the experts, listen to the experts, really? There are people who got sick and died in the last month because they listened to experts like this person. That's just reality. So it's not as easy as just repeating that mantra and all of a sudden all other, all other uh, points of view, all other ways of looking at this just fade away into nothing. It's, it's, it's not that straightforward, folks, as we all know. So uh, we'll see what ends up happening with the county by county, state by state approach. I think the president's probably going to announce something pretty substantial on that on Monday. But now we're going to really see. And, and I think this is going to be more of a, a test of federalism than we've had in this country in a long time. Because states that handle this well, people are going to say, hmm, maybe it's time to go check that place out. States that are crushed by this. Uh, there's going to be a lot of anger and a lot of blame at state and local government. And there are going to be a lot of Democrats who are in charge of these areas. You know, whether, whether it's fair or not that they get blamed, they are going to get blamed. I mean, you know, de Blasio, I think in part, is running around screaming about how everything's on fire and we're all going to die. Just so that, you know, when, when finally people say, wow, you handled this really badly, he's just going to say, I was warning everybody and I was the one saying it was going to be terrible. So, but I also think that we're going to, we're going to hit a peak in a couple of weeks, but it's going to be less catastrophic than the predictions were last week. That's my I wouldn't say prediction. That's my hope. And uh, I, I'm pretty I'm confident in my hope at this point. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Hi, folks, I want to bring you up to speed with something that's happening today, which is that I've developed mild symptoms of the coronavirus. That's to say a temperature and a, a persistent cough. And on the advice of the chief medical officer, I've taken a test that has come out positive. So I am working from home. I'm self-isolating. And that's entirely the right thing to do. Uh, but be in no doubt that I can continue, uh, thanks to the wizardry of modern technology, to communicate with all my top team to lead the national fight back against coronavirus. The Prime Minister of Great Britain, um, Prime Minister of, uh, of the UK, he has coronavirus. That's going to be one of those ones where you say, wow, this uh, this really is all over the place, isn't it? I think the wife of uh, Justin Trudeau has coronavirus now as well. I mean, Tom. Yeah, Hanks that was like a week or two ago. Yeah. Yeah, that was a week or two ago. Tom Hanks has coronavirus. He seems to be doing fine. I saw some update from him. Uh, who? who else? What other famous Mark? What other famous people right now have coronavirus? Uh, there were a couple weird, NBA players. Like some some like some like sea level you know, celebrities. Almost, almost announce it like 
a little too, you know, a little, they're like almost excited to it. It's a little weird with some of the younger. I've seen some people that are like, you know, influencers that are like, ooh, I have coronavirus. Like, uh, that's, you know, we wish you all the best, but this is not a, it's not a competition to see who can get this thing the fastest. There have been some weird, some weird uh, posts that I've seen on this one. And never mind the ones of people like licking toilet seats. And did, did you see that, by the way? You know, that guy got sick. Yeah, he has coronavirus. Disgusting. He has coronavirus. What I mean, what a uh, you know. I mean, people. I mean, why about, lick a toilet in general? Never mind in these times. Yeah, I dude, I I don't even know, man. I was one of those people that for years and years, if I had to use a toilet that wasn't in my home, I used one of those like I I would build a little um you know a little paper towels I mean, a little <laughs> a little yeah. paper seat for myself, you know. Oh, I won't uh, go outside of the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're one of those. I refuse. You're like that guy from American Pie who won't go outside the home. Oh, I'm the God, type of person funny. who asked the leasing office at his new apartment, do you guys change the toilet seat before uh, I move in? That's a good call, by the way. Because yeah. a lot of places will, will get, they'll get cheap on that one, and they won't. You, mm. want, you want a fresh toilet seat when you move into an apartment where someone else, where someone else has lived. But, yeah, so there, there's celebrities. Yeah, I know some NBA players and... Look, what ended up happening there, why people got tests early who are celebrities is because they have money and access and they went to private private testing facilities and said, you know, what's it going to cost? And they you know, this is the way this is the way the world works, unfortunately. So people were rightly upset about that. But there was no surprise there, really. I mean, that's the way these things are going to happen. The same way that you have uh, now hoarding of chloroquine, not chloroquine phosphate, which is fish tank cleaner, which will kill you. Um, as everybody already knows now, despite the media saying Trump told them to drink. No, he did not. Uh, but there is ho- there's hoarding of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, the anti-malaria drug that we we're not going to know if that really works. Probably, I guess, for another week or two. They are using it in New York. Um, but the therapy round of it would, must be at least a week to 10 days before you have any sense of how effective it is. So uh, but doctors are hoarding that and people are, are hoarding it and it is used for other conditions. I think it's used for lupus and there are a few I think there's some autoimmune situations where you can use uh, chloroquine to suppress it. So that's something you're seeing going on right now. And then you also have people who have tried to get and just hold one like in their closet or something, a respirator for themselves or ventilator rather. Uh, the, you know, the ventilator is the machine that breathes for you when you can't breathe uh trump speaking on that i I did see that trump was not happy with uh you know we've been talking about the defense production act and general motors and what's going on there uh trump is very displeased uh with the speed of general motors on one here's what he said general motors must immediately open their stupidly abandoned lordstown plant in ohio or some other plant and start making ventilators now all caps when the trumpster puts it in all caps you know he's for real ford get going on ventilators fast so the president's saying hey we we you know we we've been telling people um we've been telling people to have a you know, open mind about working with the private sector without government mandate, just the private sector stepping up. It's starting to sound like the president may have to say, OK, now you're now you're getting you're, they're going to get paid. Right. This is an appropriation of property without compensation. But uh, under the Defense Production Act, you're going to make ventilators and you're going to make them now, right now. 
Not not going to finish a line of cars. Not going to. We'll have to see how these companies have stepped up. A lot of people I know, and you know, could look conservatives. We understand that the free market and and private industry is where prosperity comes from. So I, I totally agree and understand with that point of view. But we've been saying the private sector is stepping up in some with some of these companies. We're going to expect some results here soon. I, I better see some General Motors ventilators, you know, getting shipped across the country by the thousands this week. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If we get on TV and it gets sensationalized, you stir people up, it's just it just leads to bad things. That's my point. We are working We're just, as hard as we possibly can with the full force of government and the full force of private enterprise, and that's the best we can do right now. We all as a country got dealt a bad hand by China. Uh, Peter, that is just a waste of time to say that. I'm going to leave it there, Peter Navarro. No, hang on. We're just what? trying to get our hands around the. Why, no, why, Peter Navarro. Why is that's that a waste of time? time. To say, say we're, out that. Of, we're out of time, and that's just okay. that's ridiculous. Good to talk. Peter Navarro, come thank back you so anytime. much. There you have a third-tier CNN anchor who has never been very bright, uh, being nasty to a presidential uh, ad- economic advisor. I watched the whole about eight-minute exchange. Um, she was just a petulant child. She was disrespectful the entire time, which is classic at CNN. I mean, I used to just so you know, when I used to go on CNN, when I was a paid contributor there before it was completely insane, like it was crazy. But it, you could kind of reason with them a little bit sometimes. Now they've, they've they've lost their minds. I'm actually I'm not sure I'm I'm not banned from the building as a security risk. Um, but the head of CNN saw me and like gave me a weird look and was like, what are you doing here once? So I'm pretty sure that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed back, which is great. I wouldn't go on. I would, I would only go on and, and fight with them, and they know that they don't want to deal with that. So, uh, But you had uh, Keeler, whatever her name is, um, being all uh, aggressive here with uh, Peter Navarro, and this is what was going on. She kept saying, you guys have done a bad job preparing. Can you get to the number? Can you get to a million, a million ventilators? And... He kept saying, well, hold on a second. Let, can we let, let's address this. You, you're making a claim that the administration has done a bad job preparing for this. And then you're saying we need a million ventilators, which keep in mind, no administration ever thought that they needed to have a million ventilators on hand. A, a million ventilators, a lot of machines, folks. These machines cost about uh, I'm not saying we don't have the money for it, but it's a lot of machines at a cost of 20 to 30 thousand dollars a piece. A million of them. Somebody else is going to have to do that math for me. So. Uh, she's making this claim, and Peter Navarro kept trying to say, look, here's the reality of the situation. It's unprecedented. Nobody else, no other administration would have ever, you know, if you tried to get funding for a million ventilators, people would have laughed at you, thought you were insane, right? So, and she just kept, she kept hammering the point. She's trying to play, you know, trying to pander to the CNN audience, which just wants to hear how terrible Trump is, and he doesn't care about old people or any people dying for that matter. He just wants to, you know, make more money and violate the emoluments clause and all this other psycho crap that they say all the time. Uh, But one part that kept coming up is, you know, he was saying, look, this is China cut six weeks out. And this is just true. China, by lying and covering up, cut six weeks out of America's preparations for this. And if you're going to talk about how, you know, how well the administration got ready for this. You have to be fair to the situation and say, well, you know, the Chinese were a big problem here and that other countries, you know, if this had broken out first in the UK or France, I think there would have been a lot more transparency and a lot more honesty. 
But the Chinese Communist Party is a bunch of liars who don't care about anything other than their power. And that's a real issue. CNN's anchor here just kept saying that's a distraction. You know, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty remarkable circumstance that you're seeing play out. And it's not one that I will forget anytime soon uh, that the liberal news media has an insistence in undermining any good news out of the Trump administration during this panic, while they will simultaneously and wholeheartedly believe any piece of absurd propaganda that China puts out. This is really all you have to know about their character, seriousness and intelligence, all of which are deeply lacking. The Chinese government is claiming that they have sent you know, tons and tons, pallets of uh, medical supplies to Italy, for example, and they're sending them to other countries. And our news media takes these little propaganda pieces from China and says, you know, look, China is the one stepping up with global leadership. People who think they're really smart look at these Chinese press releases and they say, oh, wow, China's doing a great job here. Why is America cutting itself off from the world while China is trying to help? First of all, we're in the midst of the, of the peak of our own or about to hit the peak of our own pandemic. And so, yeah, it would seem a bit strange if we're trying to build more ventilators for our people to be sending a lot of ventilators abroad. But here's the other piece of this that the moron journalist crowd doesn't understand. Put aside from whether China is full of lies. We sent we sent aid to China. We tried to help out the Chinese. And in fact, the Chinese kind of rejected some of that aid, including from the World Health Organization initially, but rejected American offers of help, too. Uh, and then we gave them help and then they shipped, you know, help with, with medical supplies. And then they've shipped medical supplies to other countries now in just a propaganda effort. And the, our media reports on this as though, oh, look at China stepping up and, and showing all this leadership. Yeah, China's done a great job, for example, sending testing kits to Spain. Do you know what the percentage of those testing kits? Hundreds of thousands of testing kits they've sent to Spain. Our media was like, look at China stepping up here. The percentage of those kits that work, 30 now, you might say, OK, well, at least they have 30 percent working kits. They don't know which kits work and which don't. Think about what that does then to the testing capacity in Spain. They have to run a test to see if it can actually work or not. And they got hundreds of thousands of tests now from China that they can't really use. Or if they try to use some of them, they can only use a percentage of them. Right. I mean, you know what? I think of it this way. How if, if you're in the middle of a war and I send you, you know, a million rounds of ammunition but only 30% of them will actually fire. And you don't know which ones. Am I, am I doing you a big, a big favor with that? Do, do you want to be on the front lines? You know, click, oops, didn't fire. Do you want to be the doctor that's running a test for somebody that needs to find out before they go back home and possibly infect other people, whether or not they have coronavirus? And then you go, oh, you, you wait four days or five days or 12 hours or whatever it is with the, with the Chinese test. I don't know. And then you find out, oh, no, it results inconclusive. Or what if the results are wrong? Do, you, do, you, do we think that we can actually trust these tests being sent from China? America, because our own media really watches the authoritarianism of, of China with some uh, envy. You know, the, the American progressive movement, American liberals wish that they could do what China does, which is just make make people do whatever they want. You know, once you're in charge of the government, you make people do whatever you want. And there's no questioning it. There's no wait. But we have a constitution. No, no, no. American libs, if they had their way, would do what the Chinese Communist Party does. They would just be nicer, but they would just tell people this is how it's going to go. You know, they see things like the Green New Deal and they say, oh, China could institute that so well. 
you know, China would do this, but we have to go through Congress and we have Republicans to get passed and we have a constitution that people will complain about when we trample it. So there's always been, and this, this is true. I mean, Tom Friedman, some of the top columnists in liberal media for years have been writing about the China model um, with, with, with praise, with high praise. Uh, and in fact, Nicholas Cage, anybody, I don't know if you guys remember that. And the, the, you, you look at the way Bloomberg has been covering China, and there's clearly some kind of weird, cozy relationship between Bloomberg and, and China and the, and the ruling powers there. So, you know, there, there's a lot there's a lot to see here about the way that China is acting and the way that our news media is covering them. And there's there's a lot to be really outraged about because they you know, this is a moment where patriotism and truth matter. And the patriotism of the media is constantly in question for me. And really, they're actually just showing us that they're rooting for China against the Trump administration. Here would be a fun exercise. And just you could do this as a thought exercise because you already know the answer. Do you think if you asked your average average CNN anchor who is more truthful, Donald Trump or an official spokesperson, a spokesperson for the Chinese Communist Party? Who, you know, so any of you know, the Chinese foreign minister, Xi Jinping, you know, any, anybody, anyone in the, at the top level of Chinese government or Donald Trump, who is more who is more honest and who is more trustworthy? Ninety nine percent of journalists would say uh, that it's the well, maybe I should say ninety nine percent of the journalists who don't like Trump, which is 90 to 95 percent of journalists would say that it's uh, you can trust China more than you can trust Trump. They believe this. You know, they believe this, which just goes to show you what terrible judgment they have and what a bunch of, of utter morons they are. And, and, you know, there are people like Nancy Pelosi who are running around acting like we should listen to them because they know something about anything. I mean, Nancy Pelosi knows how to be a cunning opportunist who will do anything she can to stay in power and to utilize power. That's what she knows. And she's a dogmatic lib. So whatever, whatever the left wing of the Democratic Party wants to do, Nancy Pelosi tries to bring that into reality, but she's going around saying, for example, we need, I mean, here, play, just play clip 12. We would hope that the government production office, the defense uh, production office uh, agency would be called upon uh, to call upon industry to convert to making ventilators and the rest, ventilators. Testing, 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 mask, 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 ventilators, ventilators, ventilators. What's the mystery? We need many more. And a ventilator, just for your information, is not about making you breathe easier. It make, it's making you breathe, period. It is vital to life and death in many, many, many cases. So we need a, 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 an unlimited number. Let's think of it that way. Endless number of ventilators. And just to name one thing. An unlimited number of ventilators. We don't have an unlimited number of anything, but we're going to need an unlimited number of, of ventilators. That's really her. That's her demand now. Well, how, how do we even how do we even do that? I don't even know what that would look like. Then the number is unlimited. We're just going to have. So what, what does that mean? We should have 50 million of them just just hanging around. They don't understand that there's. Man hours, labor, equipment, materiel, that these things. I mean, Nancy Pelosi has never run a business other than the business of being shady, opportunistic Nancy Pelosi. She doesn't know anything. She's never worked for a company. She's never spent time learning about basic economics. All she knows is the liberal orthodoxy and how to enact it by playing the media 
And well, I mean, the media is in her back pocket, so it couldn't be any easier for her. But yes, that's her claim that we need to have an unlimited number of ventilators. Oh, gosh, she is just she's uh, she's the worst. I don't know. I mean, de Blasio is actually the worst, but Pelosi sometimes gets pretty close for me. All right. So I, I want to talk about what we're going to do this weekend, folks. En- enough. So we've gone through all the most important news for today. What are our weekends? And this is the quarantine Freedom Hut now. So what are the weekends going to look like for all of us? What are you going to be doing? And I've got one one thing that I need to share with you that I think will be a worthwhile recommendation. Uh, we'll bring in producer Mark to hear what he's got going on. Then we'll get to roll call and uh, then I'll send you off to just regroup, relax, keep calm this week. And we'll get to all that. Stay with me. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Not every day that a zookeeper went to prison for murder for hire. There are more captive tigers in the U.S. than there are in the wild throughout the world. Animal people are nuts, man. They're all crazy. I'm sure y'all got a story to tell. <laughs> I got to tell you, I watched two uh, two episodes of this last night with uh, the. Still mystery lady in my in, in, in my life who uh, will team buck. You'll, you'll meet and hear about her at some point. But I watched two episodes of uh, of that show, Tiger King, last night. It is phenomenal. <laughs> it's so like crazy and weird. And I love animals. I remember being maybe a kindergartner, first grader and telling people and mostly just because I was impressed. I think that I knew the word, but that I wanted to be an animal conservationist. I don't think I ever really, you know, I, I had watched some of these National Geographic VHS. National Ge- Geographic had this great series, this VHS series back in the day when we had VHS tapes. Uh, it shows you what a gray beard millennial I am, where they had, they had one on sharks that was amazing. They had one with Jane Goodall and uh, chimpanzees that was incredible. They had these sort of, I don't know, they, they, these episodes of National Geographic um, back when everything was VHS and, you know, or old school cable TV. Uh, and I watched those. I watched those tapes until they fell apart. So I loved uh, I love the shark one in particular, which was really amazing because this is back. This is before Shark Week This is before you had all that cool stuff. So and they kind of overdid Shark Week like they overpromised after a while. I kept watching producer Mark. When was the last time you watched Shark Week? Never. You've never seen it. I mean, like, I've seen commercials and stuff, but it doesn't interest me as much as Like, 15 years ago, it was pretty cool, but then every year, it's just like, okay, like, now we're going to look at, like, this series of attacks that we don't know if they really happened, but maybe they did, and these people didn't drown, they were eaten by sharks. You're just like, this is... just a lead-up to Sharknado now? No, I mean, Sharknado is not something I've ever seen. I think Ann Coulter, who's who's a, a friend of the show, I think she was in Sharknado, too. I'm being serious. I think she was, too. That sounds right. Yeah, I think she was, which is pretty awesome. She's got a great sense of humor. So uh, anyway, I, I you know, the, the shark stuff is a little bit overdone now. I mean, once you've seen those great white sharks that kill this, that eat the seals and fly out of the water when they do, that's the most amazing ocean footage I've ever seen of anything. So that's pretty incredible. Um, but anyway, I, I'm uh, somebody who does like watching, you know, these nature shows. Actually, the uh, Netflix Nature at Night or whatever it's called, uh, it's something at night about different you know animal ecosystems that's was, was pretty well done um but the tiger king is about a guy named uh joe exotic 
mostly. There's some other people that are central players too, who raises uh, lion cubs, tiger cubs, obviously. All I can't even name all the animals that they've got. Uh, they've got hundreds of them, and he's got this zoo out in Oklahoma. Now he's in prison. Now that's in the first episode, so I'm not giving anything away. It's just amazing. I mean, you you got to see this thing. First of all, because the watching him play with these baby tiger kittens, they're the cutest things you've ever seen. All right. And then you realize that people pay a lot of money to go pet these baby tigers. Producer Mark, what do you think it costs to go to one of these special animal preserves? There's one in Florida. There's one in uh, there's one in Oklahoma, as I said. What do you think it costs to go in? and pet the, the six-week-old tiger cub? I'm going to say at least $500. Yeah, that's about right. It's like yeah. three to five hundo. It's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. It's expensive. People yeah. pay real. And, of course, they take the selfies with it. And there's a whole thing about uh, Tinder selfies with big cats as a way to get people's attention. So that was the whole thing <laughs> people were taking. And you can take photos with the, with the big, I mean, the lions that are, you know, five, six, seven hundred pounds. I mean, these animals are enormous. And guess what? Very dangerous, which also comes up at some parts in the show. Uh, but it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I also... Uh, you know, Disneyland is exp- like some of these places that you don't realize, like how Disneyland's expensive to go to, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Very expensive. Have you never been? I've never been to Disneyland. Oh, my God. Yeah, Fuck. No, it's, it's like I'm barely American. What about so like Universal? Any of that stuff? No. Do you just not been. like rides? I didn't do. Th- I didn't really do theme parks. I used to go to ride Playland a lot as a kid, which is the most like bootleg theme park well, on yeah. the planet. It's a New York that theme place, park. That place sucks. <laughs> There's like the, I mean, seriously, when my older brother would put me in the grocery store cart and make me go real fast until I scared, got scared to tell him to slow down, we were little kids, that was more fun than the Rye Playland roller coasters. I mean, what age did you go to Rye Playland? Because that's built for like kids. Yeah, like eight, nine, ten. I'm, like, hey, 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 slow, I'm not like a weirdo here. I was going, I was a little kid. <laughs> You know, I'm not, I'm not the 38-year-old dude who's walking around Rye Playland eating the uh, cotton candy like, hey, I want to go on the rides. All right, that's um, weird at Rye Playland, but it's not that weird on Dis- at Disney. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. I agree. But no, when I was a little kid, I, I used to go there and check this stuff out. But I'm telling you guys, this weekend, if you're in quarantine or if you're just trying to lay low for the weekend, Tiger, Tiger King is amazing so far. I've only two episodes in, but it is fantastic. Producer Mark, you... And Mrs. Producer Mark should try it. I'm telling yes, you. Yes, I think that was on the docket for the weekend. Yeah, you guys should do that one. It's it's nuts. Like it's this is the whole and the people that are involved. I mean, it, it's it's when when you find out that somebody has uh, all these animals, you think this must be an interesting show, and then you find out more about the people, and you realize this is a really interesting show. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, roll call as we head off into our weekend. Man, this week went by pretty, pretty quickly, I've got to say. It's, um, you know, it's it's tense out there. It's stressful in the country right now, but team, we are going to get through it okay. We're going to be all right. We are going to rally. Let's get to your thoughts. Hey, Buck, I was completely blown away that you read my email on the show the other day. On Monday's show, you discussed the consequences of the shutdown on the emotional well-being of people. As a small business owner myself, the stress is almost overwhelming. I'm only a couple of checks away from bankruptcy myself. The only comfort I can draw from this is the fact that I understand that I'm not alone. I'm absolutely certain there are tens of thousands of others that share my situation. 
Pittsburgh is now completely shut down except for life essential businesses. And you have to have a permit in your possession to go to work. Keep up the great work, Buckster. Listening to the show is one of the highlights of my day. Still wearing my nitrile gloves, nitrile, uh, and holding my shields high, praying for an end to this nightmare. Jeff, man, I hear you. I'm so sorry that you're going through this, but you, you are among millions. You are among millions. And, you know, the one thing about this that I, I do think it's important for everybody to, to remember, because I know, you know, small business owners in particular, people that are used to doing the right thing, putting in hard work, um, they, they have to live in the reality of, of what, you know, what their community can sustain and they've got to deal with customers. And, you know, it's, it requires a lot of people. And uh, I know that when you have a, a setback with a business like that, people can really feel very, you know, not only does it affect them obviously very deeply, but they can also internalize it and take it personally. Just remember for anybody out there who right now is feeling the financial pain and, and is concerned and is worried and doesn't know how they're going to support their family and, and what's going to happen. Just remember this always keep this in the back of your mind. Your responsibility, your fault for this situation is zero. It's not, oh, maybe I could have or a month ago I should have. Your fault right now for the economic pain that you're feeling because of this pandemic is is zero. You have no no responsibility whatsoever for what has happened to you. Your business that is struggling now or your business that has closed now or the job that you have lost now, this is not a reflection on you, your capabilities, uh, your hard work or anything else. This is the this is the virus equivalent of we just got hit with a tsunami that's, you know, 50 feet of solid water and just wiped away whole towns. If you know, if your shop gets wiped away by the tsunami, it is not your fault. So I do think it's important to remember that as we move forward here and you will rebound because the business that you were running a month or two ago that was doing well and serving customers that you were proud of is going to be the business that you are running again when we get through this. You know, maybe you have to call it a different name or something, or maybe you've got to get some you know, new employees or old employees back or whatever it is you do, but you'll still be that person in a few months when this is up and running again, hopefully sooner than that, that you were before this whole thing happened. You've got to remember that. Um, Moria, a topic that I would like to see covered in the midst of coronavirus talks is what Lindsey Graham is up to. With your mention of him on your last podcast, coupled with Tucker Carlson's allegations against him and his appearance on Sean Hannity, I think we deserve to know the truth of where his allegiance stands. You know, Moria, I, look, I, I'll, I'll tell you this about Lindsey Graham. There are, there are a lot of people that I, I'll say this about. Lindsey Graham and I had about a 30-minute conversation, uh, you know, one-to-one in D.C., and, and look, I don't care. I don't I feel like there are a lot of shows you can go to. You hear a lot of guests. That's why I put in a lot of sound, because news making sound I'll use on this show to tell you what I think is going on, because, you know, you come here for the Freedom Hunt. You come here for this show. Right. You're not coming here because, oh, I'm, every day I'm going to have some member of Congress tell you what we all already know. Um, but I had a long chat with Lindsey Graham and I'm somebody that my word is my bond. And I, I really do adhere to that. And one reason why I've managed to. Uh, stay on good terms with every company, every media entity that I've worked for. I mean, except for CNN, but that's a political thing, not a professional thing uh, is because I keep my word and I and I, pl- I play a clean. I, you know, I, I play a clean game every time. And, you know, I, I Lindsey Graham, I, I shook his hand and he said he would love to come on the show. And we you know, I asked him a couple of times and or I went to his comms person. He didn't come on and he shook my hand and said he was going to do it. And then he didn't do it. I don't like that. I don't like that. Tell me that you're busy and, you know, have me talk to your comms guy. Don't say I'm absolutely going to do something and then not do it. And that's what he, that's what that's what happened. 
So I, I think that that's a character flaw. I really do, especially because, I mean, not to be that weird guy, but this radio show is bigger than most of the radio shows that he has done, for example. I mean, there's only a handful of radio shows that have a larger audience than this one, and, and you know the ones that they are. The other ones do not. <laughs> so that's why uh, I sit here, I'm like, okay, so anyway. Um, so I, I, I'm just telling you this to be honest about my assessment of whether or not Lindsey Graham uh, is somebody who really means what he says. When someone shakes my hand, they say they're going to do something and they don't do it. I, I remember that. And so that's where I, that's where I'm at with Lindsey Graham right now. You know, he loves to go on you know, Fox and you know, talk a big game about things, but he doesn't follow through on a lot of stuff. He's bad on immigration. He talks tough on a lot of stuff and doesn't do anything. And yeah, I mean, he stood up for Kavanaugh, but I got to tell you, anybody with any character or decency or backbone should have gone the full Lindsey Graham in that moment. He did, and we got to give him credit for that. But, I mean, good heavens, man. I mean, that thing that they were doing at Kavanaugh was outrageous. So that's my assessment. I don't know. You know, is Lindsey Graham somebody whose word, whose word about what he's going to do and, and where he stands is good? Mm, jury's out for the Buckster on that one. Adam. Buck, I'm worried now that some have gotten a taste of a stay-at-home and do-nothing lifestyle. It might lead, might lead to a, a dark path for some. Japan has been seeing this as a subculture for a while. Shields high. Well, Adam, I do know that the Democrat Party wants to use this moment to create as much dependency as possible. That that's real. That's going on right now. So I think we have to remember that as we go forward. And I do think that there's a, a concept that's gaining traction in some quarters. And I couldn't quantify it for you, but I think it's real where people think that the government can just write checks and that can be the economy. And this is where there's a lot of talk about, well, if we can give people twelve hundred dollars in unemployment insurance for a few months, why not have a universal basic income? Why doesn't everyone just get an electronic transfer to a bank account of, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars a month? Wouldn't that stimulate the economy? Wouldn't that be better for everybody? Well, as we know, that you would start to see inflation, by the way. I mean, this is why if you gave everybody a million dollars, a million dollars wouldn't be a million dollars anymore. And, and this is a concept that you know, the left doesn't really understand or, or just pretends not to understand. Um, also, if you gave people everyone $1,000 a month, then you know what happens? Then they want $2,000 a month. And then in, in a couple of years, it's no, everyone needs to have $3,000 a month. And you just keep on trying to ratchet up the taxation in order to pay for this redistribution of wealth. So, yeah, Adam, it's it's something. But look, I think most of the millions of people right now that are out of work, I mean, a vast majority of them want to get back to work. Uh, they, they want to get back to their jobs. People want purpose. They want things to do. It's, it's intrinsic to our nature as human beings to want to have things to do. Darby, I'm a registered nurse in Dallas. I want to add my two cents. While I agree that many more ventilators are needed, no one that I've heard has addressed who exactly is going to operate these ventilators. They are extremely complicated and can potentially kill a patient. Some doctors and nurses can operate to a certain degree, but certainly not all. We don't have anywhere near enough respiratory therapists, in my opinion. Keep your shield up, brother. Darby, you're the expert, man. I'm sure that's true. And look, you know, if you get an air bubble in somebody's IV, it can kill them. I'm sure a ventilator, if someone makes it messes up, it's controlling your breathing, right? I'm sure that that can go bad very fast. So... Uh, you know, I wouldn't want someone to pull me in. I've got no medical expertise. I wouldn't want someone to pull me in and say, hey, you're going to run the ventilator now, right? That would be very bad news. So we, yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, how quickly can we train 
I, I don't know how quickly we can even train ventilator uh, operators, technicians, whatever you call them, if we, if we want to. Toby, hey, Buck, glad you're working through the shutdown. I drive a truck delivering food and dry goods to Walmart stores. Well, Toby, every person listening to this right now is saying high five. Thank you, Toby. Thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for keeping this, the uh, shelves stocked for all of us and being out there on the roads. You are carrying a burden for your fellow Americans on your shoulders every day you're doing this right now, and we appreciate it. You know, you, you, are, you are being a hero for your people by doing your job. It's true of everybody, everybody driving a truck, everybody in delivery and logistics across the country right now. John, well, I finally have time to watch your show. A completely different experience. I'm an avid podcast listener. Hope your isolation's going well. Shields high. Well, now's where I get to tell you guys, if you haven't already, if you're listening on podcast and you or you're listening on one of our 160, oh, yeah, affiliate stations across the country, uh, you can watch the show and uh, listen to it as well. And it's great to flip open your laptop or your, you know, uh, pop it up on your smartphone while you're, you know, doing some work at home or while you're, you know, uh, it's great to have in the background if you're cooking or cleaning up or just, you know, watching the kids or whatever. You can download the Pluto TV app. It is totally free. And there's a lot of stuff. Download that app regardless. There's a lot of stuff on Pluto TV. It's totally free. They've got great channels. They've got like a home improvement kind of channel that's got all the you know, how to fix faucets and things. They got a lot, lots of really good content. I think, they, I don't know how many hundreds of channels they have, totally free. And it looks just like a cable interface. You just click on the channel you want to watch. It couldn't be any easier. But channel 248, the first, is the best channel, obviously. It's the one that I'm on. My friend Jesse Kelly, Dana Lash is on. Uh, Mike Slater is on. I mean, we've got really excellent conservative opinion talent all streaming on this channel and you can watch it for free. So please do, if you haven't checked, checked, uh, checked us out before, Pluto TV channel 248, the first. The first is the name of the channel. Pluto TV is the name of the app. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Hey, Buck, I couldn't agree with you more about getting back to work. My godfather turned 70 in July. A month ago, he had to retire on a Friday and turn 70 on a Monday. Now he's putting his retirement on hold at least till the end of the year. His whole life, he's done it right. He worked hard and climbed the corporate ladder while raising five kids, two of them adopted. He put away savings and started a 401k for retirement. Now it's unclear when he can retire. There's two sides to every coin, and this is the other side. Thanks, Buck. Shields high. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, people think that retirement accounts, 401ks, are for fat cats. and No, this is for people to retire. Very few people have what are considered defined benefit plans, also known as pensions. Very few people overall have that. More people have 401ks. I think my numbers on this are correct. Um, so, yeah, it affects everybody when the market gets absolutely clobbered. Uh, it's, it's a very real concern. But I hear you, man. And I hope we get back to work soon. David, Buck, I heard you mention the Team Buck community would be a great resource. I agree. How do I reach out to members? Facebook? I'm starting a business when this blows over and I'm looking for a business partner to run sales. Please let me know. Shields high. Um, well, David, you know, there's a few there's a few ways that you can do this. There's a few things that uh, would let you contact other folks in the community. I mean, one, I mean, Facebook is certainly a very good, uh, very good resource. I would say, you know, look at our Facebook page. And if you post in, the, you know, I, I put posts up there or, you know, Mark will put posts up from the show. And you can just in, in the comments be like, hey, guys, you know, I'm in the 
I'm in the such and such area. Um, can you know who who else is around me here? Who has any ideas? And it's just a way to get the conversation going. People will see it. They'll respond. That's certainly one means of of accomplishing that. Um, we. You know, we've thought about setting up some kind of more uh, official fan page. The problem is we just don't really have the staff right now to, to keep that going and to moderate it. And then people, you know, someone says something mean to someone else. And now do we have to intervene and others? So just I'd say comment on one of our posts and say, hey, guys, here's my situation. And, you know, we have we, we have, a, you know, a reach with some of these posts of hundreds of thousands of of uh, people that are going to see some of the posts that we do so you know hopefully some of them will be right in your area and that's just a it's a good way to do it um you know that's that's one way and look if, if somebody has a particular idea or if you know if some folks want to get together and they want me to give a, a shout out for an area where we have you know one of our affiliate one of our affiliate stations and people want to you know, get together and uh, you know, I don't know the Austin and Austin area, Denver, uh, Seattle or Portland or something. And some there wants to be some kind of a team buck meetup. I can't be there. I can't travel, but I can at least get the word out for a bunch of you. If you want to gather together and try to even if you gather together virtually. Right. That's what we're that's what we would do now. Social distancing. But you could try to come up with ways to restart businesses and get going again. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's that's where we're at right now. I'd say that's the best way to do it. But as I said, people have gotten. People have gotten jobs from people they've met on this show, employers. Uh, people have gotten married from being in the audience of this show. Certainly met lots of people they've gone out on dates with. I mean, there's, it's a community. It is. So it's nice. Jerry, uh, Buck, you got to get a PS4. And if your TV has HDR, high dynamic range built into it, get the PS4 Pro. The picture will look amazing. The games you got to get are God of War and Hellblade. Both are Viking era style games, but with Hellblade, play it with headphones. The sounds are crazy. And of course, get the new Call of Duty game, Shields High. Well, Jerry, I, I hope if I do get a PS4, I see you out there in the multiplayer mode and I can school you, son, show you how it's done. Um, we'll see. But that's uh, I, I'm trying to get through more books, I'm trying to get to a multi podcast that you people have been asking for for a while. We'll see if um, we'll see if the new mystery lady allows me to do some reading and research over the weekend to get this done but uh yeah i think i think we'll, we'll get that podcast done in the next week or two so that'll be great greg writes in buck this is my first time writing i'm a medical laboratory scientist in charleston south carolina i i keep talking about places i love i love Char I'd, I'd move to charleston tomorrow and be happy charleston's a great great town i listen to your podcast every morning it gets me through the early hours i appreciate your thoughtful articulate and sometimes comical view on current events you are a breath of fresh air here on the front lines. Shields high to you and producer Mark. Keep fighting the good fight. Well, Greg, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And, um, you know, your, your expertise right now is more valued than at any point in my lifetime. So, you know, God bless and keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I hope you're able to, you know, enjoy some of the great food scenes still in, in Charleston. Uh, so there you go. Saul writes in, Buck, AM760 in San Diego added your show last week, and after the first day, I told my wife that I had a new favorite radio host that is incredibly smart and eloquent. The next day, I told her you went to Regis, and she smiled and said, now it makes sense, because she said uh, she has met most of my lifelong friends from the class of 78, and they're all top quality people. I'm going to be a kid in the candy store with your podcast playing catch up. Thank you for serving our country both then and now. Deo et patriae, shields high. Uh, which means God and country, Shields High. That's, that's, the, uh, 
that's the motto of Regis High School, our high school. Saul, first of all, thank you so much. It's great to be on AM760 in San Diego. I'm so proud. That's a, that's a wonderful station for us to be on. Mike Slater before me is a great dude. I have nothing but the most professional and personal respect for Mike. He's a really solid, really smart guy, and I'm honored to be following him. And I love San Diego and that whole community. So that's a great station for us, and we're so happy about that. Everybody, take care of yourselves this weekend, all right? Make sure you rest. Make sure you get the necessary you know, mental space for this coming week to take care of yourself. We'll be back on Monday. Shields high.